Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning, church. My name is Zach. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. We are so excited for our winter retreat, all our youth and our leaders that are going up. And I want to echo the words that Tim said, just continue to be praying for us, be praying for them. Uh, As a former youth pastor, I'm excited to go up and not run the retreat. I'm so pumped. Like, I don't even know what that's like. But um, I'm so excited to see what God does in the hearts and minds of our students. And if you know a student that needs to encounter Jesus, which is every student, and you want them to encounter Jesus, and I, I just encourage you, go invite them this week, maybe today. I want you to know our church is so generous that there's not one student that will not go because of finances, okay? So don't let finances be a barrier, but please be thinking about that person or that, that student that, that, that you need to go invite and be bold and say, hey, come with me, or hey, go with my church. You might not know anyone, we'll, 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 we'll find someone for you, okay? Can we do that? Think about that person. Okay, cool. Want to get into God's word this morning? All right, hold on. Do you want to get into God's word this morning? All right, Romans 12, turn there, please. Romans 12, turn there, please. And uh, Tim started something last week that really resonated with me and, and just having a reverence and a respect for God's word and what it is, that it's active, alive, and breathing. So I'm going to ask you to stand and read this with me, okay? Go, go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read this passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I'm reading out of the ESV. It's going to be on the screen, but I want you to proclaim God's word over your life this morning. Here we go, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Amen. Lord, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We ask that you'd come and take the word, Lord, the word that you have here for us this morning and put it deep down in the soil of our hearts, God, that it would be all about you, that the very reading of your word and the proclamation of your gospel be worship and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, Did anyone know there's a football game today? Anybody? I saw some cheese stuff. I actually, Miss Lynn, I talked to Miss Lynn. She had no idea the Super Bowl today, so there are people that don't. Uh, but there, there's a football game today. We all know this, right? How many of you watch the game just to watch the commercials? Anyone? Okay. Who watches for the actual game? Anyone watch for the actual game? Okay. Toby, you got to participate, man. I know you're watching for the game, all right? How many of you watch it for the halftime show? Anybody? Okay, Nobody? All right, this will be a good transition. I'm really glad this this one works. But I I was just thinking about halftime shows, and I was thinking about the Super Bowl, and I'm thinking how I typically watch the halftime show and how I judge it and how I review it. And most of the time, it's not very good to watch, right? It's probably something that we as Christians conflicts with our worldview, especially the last few of them. But I want to read for you a few of the reviews of the last two or three halftime shows. I just found this very intriguing as I was getting ready for this week. And so check out, check out what they had to say about some of the last halftime shows. Here they are. It says, it was okay. I wish they chose different songs, and it was a little more exciting. Okay. Okay, this one says, this review, this is, this is Google, by the way. It's just not my style of music. I tried to like it, 
but it was kind of boring. All right, I think we've all watched a halftime show or two. That it's not our genre. How about this one? The music was just okay. I expected more from all the special effects and storytelling aspect of it. And here's the last one. It was not entertaining at all. I stopped paying attention about five minutes in. Hopefully the next one is better. Maybe I'll watch it. Reviews, huh? They're kind of harsh. Anyone run a business? Ever been left a tough Google review? Come on, man. Oh, man. Anyone in customer service out there? Okay. Ever, ever been, maybe your boss got a call and you were like, they said, oh, so-and-so wasn't so nice. And It's tough, huh? Can I share with you something about those reviews? I kind of lied to you this morning. Those aren't Super Bowl halftime reviews. Do you know what they are? Church reviews. Church reviews. Because you see how our brains are wired, and I'm saying ours, mine, how my brain is wired is to review what we do right here, what is happening right now, the very words that were coming out of my mouth, the very words that were being sung on the stage, the prayers that Tim were praying. We are wired to judge them like that. Do you know that? That's what's been created in you and been put in your brain from a very young age and what is being reinforced over and over and over again every single day is that you are wired to judge everything you see and if it makes you feel good, it makes you feel better, if it entertains you, you might go ahead and do it again. And we are being desensitized over and over and over again to want more and more and more and more. It's called consumer church. And And if I'm being brutally honest... I do it too. I do it. My wife and I had been looking for a church family for the last couple years, and we probably went to over 20 churches in the Treasure Valley, and it was, we would go in thinking literally, do not judge this church this way. Do not review it like a movie. Do not ask if it makes me feel good, feel better, if I'm getting fed, if, if I like the music, if I like the pastor. Don't ask that. Just go and encounter God but we'd still do it. We'd still do it. You know, in church today, there's 40,000 denominations. That means there's over 40,000 differences in how today should be done. This hour and 15 minutes we spend, there's 40,000 differences, 40,000 opinions of what we should be doing on a Sunday morning. Isn't that crazy? Did you know that 46% of people who, who, who attend church only attend once a month? And of that 46%, check this out, of that 46% who attend once a month, 40% of that 46%, almost half, go to multiple churches about once a month. So one month they go to one, the next month they go to the other. Oh, this guy's speaking here, I'll go there. Oh, I heard this guy's coming in from out of town, I'll, I'll go there. And what we do, and I'm guilty of it, just so you know, I'm a back row sitter, born and bred. I, it's so uncomfortable for me to even be up here. But I'm a back row sitter, born and bred. I sit in the back, I watch everybody else, and I leave. And I'm here to tell you this morning what I want to share with you through my struggles with that is that that's not what God has for you. That's not what he meant when he said, hey, go do life and do church and and be a part of a body of Christ, okay? That's the problem we're facing. It's called consumerism, consumer Christianity. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said this, and this one's kind of going to hit us all in the face, so... He said it, not me. Just remember that as I read it. He said, consumer Christianity is now normative. The consumer Christian is one who utilizes the grace of God for forgiveness and the services of the church for special occasions, Easter, Christmas Eve, 
but does not give his or her life and innermost thoughts, feelings, and intentions to the kingdom of the heavens. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and are not committed to it. I don't know about you, but that hits me right in the face. That wars against everything that my brain and mind want to do. And it should war against everything that your brain and mind want to do too. And it should challenge you in ways that are uncomfortable. So we're going to get uncomfortable as a family this morning, okay? And again, I am with you. I am not preaching at you. I'm literally preaching to myself right now, okay? Because that is the problem. I am a part of the problem. Is that is how we judge church. That's what we think church is. We think it's, it's a motivational speaker, and it's a concert, and it's some good coffee, okay? And when Patrick make, makes treats, it's some good treats, okay? But that's what we think it is. So how do we combat this? How do we become a part of the solution? I'm a big fan of when a problem is presented. Anyone can bring a problem, right? But we've got to want to be a part of the solution, Okay? I would venture to say that every single person in this room would love more connection, more community, to feel more presence of God in their life, to feel more, uh, more deeply about their convictions of their faith. I, I'd imagine we'd all raise our hand and say that. You wouldn't be here this morning. So what do we do? And here's the simple, simple answer is we love one another. We love one another. Did you know over a hundred times in the New Testament, a hundred times the exact phrase in the Greek language is love one another? 59 of those times, it is directly referencing your relationship with other Christians. Did you know that? It's not even referencing your relationship outside of other Christians. It's referencing how you deal with one another who share a common faith, a common God, a common aim, a common focus. 59 times the different authors, the several authors of the New Testament, specifically give you a command to be unified, to encourage, to be patient, to forgive, all of that encompassing into the phrase, love one another. And can I tell you this morning that sometimes I'm not so good at that? Sometimes I think we're all not so good at that. That's why I think God has a special word for us this morning. I'm going to reread the passage we read, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 through 13. Paul says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. You see, there's nothing wrong with the songs that we sing, there's nothing wrong with being excellent in worship, Man, we have an awesome worship team, there's nothing wrong with with having great programs like our youth ministry that are going to take all these kids up and doing it excellently. There's nothing wrong with preparing for a sermon and, and, and asking God to come show up through the words that we share together as we talk about God's word. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we miss the big, big part of what a church body and a church family is, it is to love each other. That's what it is. And you see love, I love what he says here. When he says at the very end of verse 13, he says, seek to show hospitality. You see, love is not a passive thing. Love is a very real, active choice that you're gonna make. Oh, look to the left, look to your left, and look to your right right now. Go ahead. Look, look, look. Don't look at your spouse or your person that came with you. Just look around, okay? There are people here that need you to love them. 
Did you know that? There are people in this room, and it might be your spouse and your kids, that need you to actively love them, not too passively, not to see them once a week on Sundays, but they need you to actively invest and engage and impart God's love from him through you to them. And if you don't listen to that, they don't get that part of God's love. For some reason, God drew it up this way, where he allows us to be the extension of his love to others. I love what Matt Browlett says. He wrote a book called Out of the Fourth Place. I'd highly recommend it. Um, he says this. Paul describes a community where everyone participates. There are no consumers, no observers, no performers. The believers do not contrive an environment of light, smoke, and professional talent. They weren't striving after trendy, cool, hipster, ancient, or new. They simply brought who they were and what they had and offered it to God and to... Say it with me, church. One another. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm about to turn 35 years old. I don't think I've done this very well. I really don't. I want to be better. And here's the big thought I keep engaging with this week is that a church, a church is not a holy place where holy people do holy things. A church is a spiritual family. Let me say that one more time. A church is not a holy place where holy people do holy things. That's what, that's what the devil wants you to believe. But the, the church, see, it's not a building. It is a family. It is a family. Okay? It's not a building. We want to engage with one another. We want to love one another. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to support one another as a family. I know what you're thinking. Well, Zach, you don't know my family. My family's pretty messed up. <laughs> Me too. Me too. So let's talk a little bit about family dynamics, shall we? Family dynamics, or in fact, you might want to call it family drama. Family dynamics, family drama, right? All right. So we think sometimes in our 21st century, Treasure Valley, you know, American selves, we think that who, when the Bible was written, they didn't deal with that stuff. Huh? We interpret everything through our lens. Oh, man, you don't understand the, the generations today. You don't understand what's going on. I mean, I never thought I'd be that person that said that, but now, going to be 35, I say it all the time. Oh, kids these days. And as a youth pastor, I'd say it. I'd be like, when I was 22, 20, I'm like, would you stop saying that? Now I say it. But let's talk about that. Okay, Paul's writing to who? Who's, who's Romans written to? Anybody? The Romans. Good job. <laughs> Wasn't Jesus, but it was pretty easy, right? Nine out of ten times, Jesus is the answer in church, by the way, if you're ever wondering. This ten out of ten, it was Romans. But Paul is writing here in 57 AD. He's writing to the church in Rome, which he helped plant. We have to understand that Rome was the epicenter of the world, okay? It had a million people in it. And we think that's not a big number today, but back then it was very big. Yeah, we don't have a concept of how important Rome was to the world back then because there's so many big cities now there's so many epicenters right you could name LA New York London you could go on and on but we don't get it there was no London and LA there was just Rome okay this was it all the politicians I mean the emperor lived there all all the rich people all the generals they all lived there so there's this massive wealth in Rome okay also in Rome were 50,000 Jews who are somewhat living in captivity also in Rome were almost just tons I mean probably 40,000, 50,000 slaves. 
Also in Rome, okay, were tons of people from different ethnicities flocking to this place to have work, to have commerce. So you have this melting pot of all these beliefs and backgrounds and ideologies. And this is the church that Paul is writing to. It's so economically and socially diverse that we, we really can't comprehend in Boise, Idaho. Okay? It was founded, this church, okay, mostly upon converted Jews. So these were Jewish people who engaged with Jesus and became followers with him. So they have that very, very real background of being a Jew. Okay, so these Jews founded the church. They are the leadership of the church. They met corporately in larger gatherings, but they mostly met in small house groups. Okay, so a lot of dynamic, a lot of life. They were under persecution. They were very tight-knit. And then as the church began to grow, as the church began to grow, they started to welcome in people from these different socioeconomical backgrounds. They started to welcome in the Gentiles. What a Gentile was was anyone who wasn't a Jew. That's how fondly Jews thought of people who weren't Jews. They had a name for them. It was Gentiles, okay? We just throw that word around and think it's a good word. It wasn't very good for the Gentiles, so these Gentiles are coming in, and they're, they're intermixing, and there's these challenges, and Paul gets a report of these challenges, and he's literally spent 11 chapters correcting so much of what is going on. You should read it. It's really cool. It's really powerful. It's deep theology, but he's correcting all these different worldviews in this 11 chapters, and he gets to chapter 12, and he starts to give these commands, and what, what's interesting about the time that Paul wrote this letter is that in 49 AD, the, the, you know, the Roman church is founded, uh, and and the Jews, almost simultaneously, within a year at that time, they were banned from Rome. They were kicked out of Rome. One of the emperors didn't like them very much. They kicked them out. For five years, the Jews were gone. Not only from Rome, but from the church. So all the founders and all the leaders were gone for five years. And so Gentile leadership had to take over. So the Jews come back in 54 AD, and do you think their church looked the same? Do you think the church they grew up in? Tim's been here how long, Tim? Three, since he was three? Imagine him leaving for five years and coming back with totally different leaders. Their church had changed. I mean, we, we have 40,000 denominations, but I imagine this was like the 40,000th and one denomination when they took over, right? I mean, it was crazy for them. So they walk back in, and can you imagine the conflict? You're singing those songs? We don't do hymns anymore. That's so in the 90s. Wait, you're teaching topically instead of verse by verse? How could you? You have to do an equal amount of Old Testament to New Testament. Wait, your youth ministry only means once a week they should meet at least three times a week. I mean, can you imagine the conflict that was happening? I know we never would have that here, but imagine who Paul is writing to. He's writing into the midst of this conflict, this family conflict. And, that, and, that, and in verse 10, he says, love one another. I want to track backwards to verse 3. And I want you to hear Paul's heart, a fatherly heart who has a passion for the church, who loves these Roman Christians and wants them to be unified. This is what he says. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What's Paul saying here? He's saying it starts with humility. Humility, not thinking of ourselves too highly, 
not riding on our high horse and thinking, oh, I know better, or I'm a better Christian, I'm a better follower of Christ. How could that person have so little faith? He continues on. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, if we measure ourselves against others, we'll always lead to destruction. The devil loves that. You see, there's no win in comparison for anybody. You see, God has given you specific gifts and specific faith for specific moments. And there are times when it will be strong and there are times when it will be weak, but he's given it to you intentionally. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, faith is a gift from God. Your faith is not your own. It's important. So Paul's addressing pridefulness. I was meeting this morning with Tim and he said something as, as we were talking about a life situation that we're going through. He said, hey, any sort of pride in your life, any sort of moment where you think you're doing it on your, your own, did you know that the Holy Spirit will literally war against that? He will, he will rage war against the pride in your life, and it will not be fun. That's what Paul's addressing here. Verse 4, he says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. I think this one we need to read a second time. The members do not all have the same function. This is important. Every single person a part of this, I don't even want to call it church today, I want to call it family. Every single person a part of this family has a different function. Do we understand that? Some of you would like to stand right here, and honestly, I'd gladly give you the mic today <laughs> to deliver this message. But everyone has a different function. This past week, I was, I was coming to help um, Chris Penn, Kelly's, Kelly's husband, Chris Penn hang some whiteboards. And I was really dreading it because I'm not very handy. And I'm thinking, this, I, I literally blocked off, and this will take a couple hours, you know, because hopefully Chris can do this. I mean, we've got to drill through. I think we have, like, a, some cinder blocks that we had to mount one on. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Seven, ten minutes later, it's done, and, he's, and we're out the door. Because Chris is so good with this, he's so handy, he's so efficient, and he's so patient with me. We're all designed with different gifts. Do you understand that? We're all designed with different gifts to serve different roles, and we have to embrace that. No gift is greater than the other. What Tim and I do up here, or whoever else speaks from this platform, what Jen and Lydia and Eve and whoever's leading and Haley do up here, it's all the same. No one is holier because they stand up here or sit down there. Okay? In fact, let me tell you this. Some of us get paid to do this Christian thing, quote unquote. I actually think you're the holier ones because you're here for free. Okay? Continues on. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, again, emphasizing that, let us use them. Again, let us use them. I'm going to say it again. Somebody here needs your gift. Somebody here needs the testimony that you have. Someone here needs the power of prayer and the faith that you have this morning because they might not have it this morning. Somebody here needs to know that you've been through something similar and, they, and you've walked through it and God saw you through it so he'll see them, them through it. But if we don't seek out to show hospitality, if we don't seek out to show brotherly and sisterly affection, if we don't seek out to love one another, that person won't experience that. That's what Paul's addressing here in the midst of disunity in the Roman church, in a melting pot of socio-economical and polytheistic beliefs. And then he, and he closes with this. If service in our serving 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I'm sure Paul could have gone on another five chapters with the different gifts that he could have, but he probably got tired of writing. What he's trying to tell us is that it's not about a building. It's about a family, a body with many members and many parts with different gifts, specifically designed by God, predestined before you were ever born to serve and love one another. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the other 59 times in the New Testament that the writers were saying here, is that your gift is not meant to be kept to yourself. And the devil would love nothing more than you to do that. Do you know that? He would love nothing more than you to not be connected. And the reason I think that some of us don't get connected, and I'm speaking about myself here because I wasn't always connected in church. In fact, it took me working for my previous church to actually get plugged into a church. Okay, God really forced me into it. And then we went a couple years without being connected again, and now I'm right back here, and I'm forced to connect, right? So I really lack faith. But I think what, what a lot of us do is we, we start to make these excuses, and we start to, we start to create excuses why I can't do that. I can't put myself out there. I can't be vulnerable. I can't let people get to know me. But I want to share with you four things that I've learned as I've struggled with this. Okay, I'm going to share these four things with you. The first one is this. Being a part of a family, a church family, it is active, not passive. It's active. I said love is an active choice. It's active, not passive. It is not a spectator sport. It is not what I've done my whole life in school and in church, sit in the back row. No, no, no condemnation. I think the holy people sit in the back row, okay? All right, you front row people like Tim, man, you probably got a lot of sin going on in your life. Okay, Craig over here. You need to be up here, man. Come on, get closer to God's word, okay? But I'm telling you, I, I sit in the back row. I left my whole life. Probably as the last song was playing, I would leave. But it's active, not passive. It's not a spectator sport. And I will reiterate to you, if you don't hear this, God needs you to use your gift to help someone here today. Okay? Okay, it's active, not passive. Second thing I've learned through my own struggles, it's messy. Mm. It's very, let me add it, it's very messy. You know why? Because we're all messy. If you spend your time, I don't, I don't know if you come here a lot, if you're brand new, if you're watching online, you're looking for a church, okay, I've been to almost all of them in the valley. Okay? I'll tell you what one thing they have in common, people. You know what people have in common? Imperfection. If you go and find a perfect church, don't go. You know why? You'll mess it up. Okay? If you find a perfect church, don't go because it's perfect. You'll mess it up. But it's messy. Feelings get hurt. Devil tries to cause divisiveness. He attacks your family, attacks your friendships. It's messy. No perfect church, no perfect people. We've got to be patient, forgive. We've got to be in it for the long haul. Okay? Third thing I've learned, and this one is the hardest one for me, it takes time. Do you know that? It takes time. 
I love, if you didn't listen last week when Tim talked about being rooted instead of planned, the series that we're in is called Rooted. Forgot to talk about that at the beginning. But it's called Rooted. It's about being rooted, not planted. He talked about the trees on the Boise River, how long they took to grow, how long it takes for them to, 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 to be rooted deeply underneath the soil to the other trees around them. You see, it takes time to get rooted into a family. Okay? It takes a lot of time. As a former youth pastor, I would have parents come to me and go, hey, um, so if my son comes, you know, for a few months, will he, like, have a best friend and get connected? Like, he just needs to get connected. So they would come one or two times, and this would happen just over and over again. And I'll probably do it when I'm a parent, so I'm, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. But they would come a couple times, and they wouldn't make a best friend in, in two weeks, which each week was about an hour. So in those two hours they spent at the youth group, they wouldn't make a best friend, they'd go to another youth group. And then about three months later, they'd come back, and they'd do the two weeks again. And then they'd go away for three months, and then they might come to our retreat, and then they'd go away for three months, and then they'd wonder, why are there students that have these deep, lasting relationships, and these families that have these deep, lasting relationships, but my son or daughter doesn't? And I couldn't kindly explain that it's because you're not rooted. It's because you're not giving it time to grow. It's because you keep pulling yourself up and your pot and you keep moving and moving and moving and you're actually, unfortunately, killing the relationships you're trying to build. You see, developing friendships for the people that are on your left and your right and maybe an aisle over or behind you, it doesn't happen in the hour on a Sunday. Just being real. We would say that if you would go to a retreat, it's about six months of coming once a week for an hour. But even that's not enough. Even that's not enough. It takes time. It takes time to allow people to get to know you. But here's the question we keep asking, right? And here's the fourth thing that I've learned, especially now having been at River Valley for about seven, eight months. You know what? It's worth it. Can I tell you that? It's worth it. It's worth the time. It's worth the mess. It's worth getting out of your comfort zone and being active. That it's so, so worth it. For many of you, you're just getting to know me and my family. And then the last few months, we've just, we've just been going through some things. I lost my dad on Christmas Day. My wife lost her grandma a few months ago. Uh, we had some dear friends who are, are godparents of our, of our kids. And at, a, at full term, they lost their baby. And we walked through that with them. My wife was in the hospital room with them and held, the, held that stillborn baby. It feels like we're sick every other week. I don't know if you have young kids and you feel like that. I'm starting, we started a new job. We've become part of a new church. It's just been a lot. And I don't say that for sympathy because I'm going to say it to, sh to tell you this. I don't think we make it without what you've all done for me and my family. That's why it's worth it. Do you understand that? Look at my tears. That is why it's worth it. You see, I look at Joel and Kara back there. And when we lost our nephew... Two weeks ago, they came over to our house every day and watched our kids so we could go be with our friends. 
They got full-time jobs. Joel works two jobs. Kara runs the whole church. Sorry, Tim. Her and April run the whole thing. They're at my house four or five days in a row watching my children. I try to pay them. They won't accept it. They go out to dinner when they're fasting and watch us eat so we could have someone to hang out with. Joel literally watched me eat the greatest carne asada he's ever seen. And he was struggling. (laughs) But that's who you have. That's what church family is. When we're weak, they're strong. You have a family like the Bentlers who literally their kids are sick and they hear of what we're going through, not only to give our friends a gift who they don't even know, but they give us a gift, write us this deep emotional card. I'm like, my goodness, I'm blown away. You have, you have people like Jen, okay? Jen, who literally goes to war for us in prayer for everything we need. I mean, she's the prayer warrior. We, we post in our prayer group and immediately Jen's praying. And I know she is. I really know she's actually doing it. Because we didn't have the strength to pray. Thank you, Jen. You know, you have, you, have, um, you know, Wendy's sitting here. Where's Wendy? And, and I, I call Wendy and go, hey, you know what? I really think my wife needs to go out and be away from her kids and see someone. And Wendy, without, a, without hesitation, says, hey, let's go out to grab some nachos at Matador. She's got three kids, too. Her husband runs a business. They're not busy at all but they're there for us. You just have people in your life that are there for you. I have Tim who is leading me in a huddle for discipleship, who's modeling how to, how to love and pray through, through hardship, and who has literally said, Zach, whatever you need, don't worry about what you're doing here. You take care of your family, you be a good husband, and you be a good father. That's the leadership we have. And that's from the elder board down through Tim to us. That's family. And if I had come to the church and walked, uh, drove into the parking lot and hit the pothole that we hit, right, and looked at the outside, let's just be real, okay? I wouldn't have come. If the right person wasn't preaching that morning, I didn't connect with it, and I, that's how I judged it, I would never get to feel the tangible presence of God in my life through those people. I'm not saying all this so that you'll be, so River Valley will grow, or you'll, you'll think it's awesome. I'm saying it because I just want it for you, because I'm experiencing it. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 13, and, I'll, and we're going to wrap up here. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe ask God to show you what that looks like for you to love someone in here today, someone that needs love today. Maybe it's going out to lunch with someone. Maybe it's jumping into our men's group on Monday night. Maybe it's jumping into our women's group on Tuesday. Maybe it's saying, hey, I'll volunteer in youth ministry. It's not so that, it's not so that because we need more youth volunteers. It's for you. Maybe it's saying, hey, let me go grab coffee with someone that I don't know very well, that I've seen over and over again so many weeks in a row, but I've never really gotten to know them. Maybe that's what love is.
I just want to encourage you, after this message, you have free reign to go ask someone to go to coffee. It's not awkward. It's really not awkward after this. In fact, I'll be bummed if you don't. So do it for me. I've been through a lot in the last month, okay? (laughs) But seriously, seek out to show hospitality to someone in this room today. Get rooted in relationship in in your church family today. Let me pray for us. Father, we just love you. We thank you for the love that you have for us, the love that you show us through our family, through the extension of who you are in the body of Christ. God, I just thank you that you give us the ability not only to be loved through you by others, but God, that you you give us the opportunity to love confront us with where we're falling short in that God show us and highlight someone right now as we're praying that we need to seek out and show love to that we need to give encouragement to that we need to give a testimony to God that we need to to meet with and just get to know God not someone that we like and someone that might be the exact same as us Lord do it with someone who's really different from us give us a heart that loves one another in Jesus name Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.